The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. I think you're going to be excited by what you hear today. It's real, it's bottom line, and with me in studio is missionary pastor Jim Kerwin. We're going to be reviewing with you today a book that he and his wife Denise have just finished editing. It is Faith is Substance by Percy Gutridge. This is a book, after you hear the broadcast, I think you're probably going to want to order. I know it's going on my shelf of favorite books because it contains some truths that cut through all of the nonsense of the false faith that is everywhere today in the church bring some sanity to the issue. Pastor Jim, welcome. I'm glad you're here. Thanks, Ray. It's good to be back. It's been a while. It's been a while since we've been on together. Yes. You, you, 
every once in a while you take off and say, oh, by the way, take over the radio program. <laughs> yes. So it's fun to be on together for once. Yes. So talk to us about who Percy was. He was one of my two fathers in the Lord. He was uh, early on in England. He was born around 1918 or so, and uh, he was, I guess, what you would call a primitive Methodist. That is, he he held to uh, West, you know, Wesleyan doctrine, later was in a, a holiness pastor. Then he got a different kind of filling of the Holy Spirit and began to operate in the spiritual gifts. He moved from England to Canada, and that was about the time that my family moved me to uh, California. I was a teenager, got saved, began to attend a, I know this will sound like a contradiction of terms, but a, but a spirit-filled Lutheran youth group. And Percy at that time was moving transdenominationally. He, he, God just opened up all sorts of doors for him. And we developed a wonderful relationship, and I could share many things with him that uh, I just couldn't share with anybody else. And the guidance I received from him over 20 years' time was absolutely invaluable in how God chose to, to grow me and mold me. You spent a great deal of time and energy, both you and Denise, in editing and annotating this precious book. Why did you do it? You know, when someone has a great influence on your life, you realize that at some point in time, they're not going to be there anymore because Jesus is going to take them. And so back in, it must have been 19, late 1970s, early 1980s, I wrote to Percy and said, may we use some of your material uh, in a newsletter or something of that nature? The internet really wasn't on the radar at that point in time. And he wrote back, as gracious as he always was, and said, you know, any of my stuff, you're just absolutely free to use any and all of it. So out of that, we began to uh, make copies of his tapes, transcribe his messages. This particular book first saw the light of day in 1975, and it was so foundational in our lives that we thought, we really need to bring this back out. This is actually a, a third edition, counting his 1975 one as the first. Um, and he brought this out five years before the so-called faith movement sort of took root and, and started going. And so there's a, a a note of sanity and foundation here that it's hard to find nowadays. So, Jim, the title of this book, Faith is Substance. What's he mean? Well, of course, he's quoting from Hebrews 11.1, 1, where uh, the writer to the Hebrews, whoever that is, and my, ten my tendency on that is to say, it was God. And I say that because all the other epistles start out, Peter, Paul, Jude, someone. But it, it, Hebrew says, God, who, at, and so forth. That's the very first word. But Hebrews 11.1, 1, he says, faith is the hypostasis things hoped for. And that, the importance of that Greek word can't be overstated. A, a hypostasis means a something that stands under, it's the substratum, it's what you build everything else on. And um, so that's what God brings to us as we're in him and as he speaks to us. 
Okay, so what is faith? Faith is when God speaks a word to me. I act on it. I obey it. And I can act on it and obey it because I know he has spoken it. So you're saying from your understanding and Percy's understanding that faith Upostasis, right. Okay, that's, that's what you stay under, and that's called faith. Staying under it is called faith. Staying under and staying on top of it. That's the thing that, on which you stand and the thing under which you are walking in obedience. Okay, so the Word of God is what we stay under mm-hmm. and we stand on. Let's be careful about that, though, right? Because... A lot of people will say, well, here it is. Here's the Bible. This is the Word of God. I have this promises. There are this, there's umpty seven promises in the Bible. I can pull anyone out and claim it before God. Now, a little bit of that God may let you get away with when you're a baby Christian because you don't know any better. But for the things that really matter in the kingdom, for the things that build up the kingdom of God, for the things that God wants to do in you and through you, those come from God speaking what we would call a a rhema word. And rhema, if you've never seen it in print, is R-H-E-M-A. And what it means is a word that God speaks to a particular person in a particular situation at a particular time as opposed to logos, which is the scriptures, it's, it's, the, it's the truth, it's all generally true. Does it apply to you in this particular situation? A rhema may come through a scripture verse, or it may just be God saying, go do this. I mean, when God first, when I was 18, not even two years old in the Lord, the Lord said, go to Dallas for ministry. So I can't find it in the scripture. <laughs> I can't say, oh, gee, that was um, Acts twenty nine thirteen, but I knew that God had spoken it, and as a result of him speaking it, he supplied for me to go. I didn't have the money, but it all went, God, many, God touched many people in that trip, and I learned a lot about ministry, but I had to have that rhema word at the beginning. So... The promise of God is there, Mark eleven twenty three twenty four. Speak to this mountain, command it to be removed, and it will be done for you. Uh, but what's the context? Last, last time I was on, uh, which was, I don't know, six months ago, we talked about a whole week about what's the context. What's the context of that passage? Think about it. Now, often it's translated, have have faith in God, but but another and almost certainly better way to translate that, have God's faith. Now that's entirely different. With that kind of faith, when God has spoken a thing, then you can have that faith that moves mountains because you're not having to work it up by some effort. God has spoken it to you. And he intends to do it. Okay, but let me go back. All right. Let's say, I'll use me for an example. Uh Uh-oh. Some 20, almost 30 years ago, I was single, 
and I desperately wanted to know if the Lord would answer me in prayer. And so I chose a promise, Mark eleven twenty three and 24, and I began to pray that promise that God would send that wife to me. Was I wrong in taking a promise of God and appropriating it for myself? Wrong as in sinful? Don't know. But, but misguided? Yes, because not seeing the point that faith comes by hearing, not by claiming. Paul says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the rhema of God. But if I have a great need mm-hmm. and I take that to the Lord and I stand on the promise that God has made to me, isn't that what it's all about. Well, let me ask you a question. How did you get on that way? For a year, I prayed, and there was zero answer. Okay. And after a year, finally, the Lord spoke. And he said, Yes, I'll bring the wife I've chosen for you. Okay. And after six months, he brought me that wife. All right. But, and I want to get at this. I'm supposed to be interviewing you, (laughs) but I want to say this. Um, What God did was nothing until he made the decision. And he spoke to me. And then I stood by faith on his word. Ah, now do you see the difference? Yeah. Okay. So maybe something moved as a result of you praying over this promise. All right. Yeah, I'll tell you what moved. (laughs) My attitude. Exactly. I changed. And we at the National Prayer Chapel often say this. Yes, you can take a promise. And you can begin to stand on that promise, but that promise is going to turn around and stand on you. Okay, I, I, I see the, uh, the analogy. And it's going to transform you. It's going to change your whole prayer life. It's going to cause you to come to terms with any sin that's in your life. Because sin will block God from moving. Mm-hmm. And then when God's ready, he'll speak. And based on that word... Faith grows and emerges. And out of that came Jan. Out of that came my precious wife. I have a similar experience. The difference between general faith that, say, God will heal Mm -hmm. and an actual healing. Uh, When we started our second church, uh, which probably should have been called off-scouring church, because... Uh, it was those of us who were left after uh, the majority of the church took off and started following the covenant discipleship movement. We were the we were the ragtag irregulars. We were the ones that nobody wanted. But almost immediately, God started to do these amazing healings in in our midst. Um, and one of the the fellows in the church called up and said, "Can you come over and pray for my girlfriend?" And we thought. Praise God, common cold. We've, we've got this. We're, so I took over a, a brother and a sister, and we get there, and we said, all right, we're ready to pray. What are we praying for? And this young lady said, I've just been to the doctor today, 
and I have uh, I've had X-rays taken, and I have ovarian cancer, and. I don't want to do sound effects on the mic, but if you can picture the sound of water being sucked down the bathroom drain, that's exactly what happened to my faith at that point. Uh, It was all gone because I might have enough faith, quote-unquote, to pray for somebody who has a cold, but ovarian cancer, that's serious, and you don't tell somebody, you know, be healed in Jesus' name if they're not going to be healed. So... I just said to the, the five of us who were there, the two that came with me and the, this man and his girlfriend, I said, let's just, let's just wait on God. We waited worship for about 15 minutes. That's all I knew what to do. And then the Holy Spirit quickened a word to me that she would be healed. It wasn't something I was trying to work up. Yes. He quickened a word. And so we laid hands on her at that point, and we prayed. A week later, she went to the same doctor to get a final uh, uh, x-ray, because this was close to 50 years ago. I don't know if they had more sophisticated means by which to locate these things. I'm I'm no physician. And the x-rays came back absolutely clear, 100% clear, to the point where the doctor said, I'm sorry for the scare. I guess we... I guess we must have made a misdiagnosis, even though they told me he had the the two x-rays side by side up on the uh, screen where you you see such things. Well, that's the difference. When confronted with something of that magnitude, human faith just kind of goes out the window, or or in this case, goes down the drain. But a word from God is what it took. Let's go back now, because... Many who are listening to this broadcast have thought that faith is their word and that when they speak, they create with their word. Or when they speak God's word, they speak a Bible verse. Uh, or, or simply don't say anything negative because if you say something negative, you're going to create that. Yeah. Right? It's the word of faith. You create with because faith has power. That's what they're taught. What kind of faith are we talking about? You used a word on Monday. I heard Monday's broadcast. I haven't yet heard yesterday's. You used the phrase psychic faith. Yes. But didn't have an opportunity to define it. Yes. Uh, Percy uses that same uh, phrase here. And so I'd like to describe what psychic faith is. Now, we use psychic generally in our society, especially among Christians, to mean uh, something kind of supernatural and dark and that that Occultic. Occultic, yeah, that would be good. But that's not how Ray was using it on Monday, and it's not how Percy uses it in the book. You have to know that at the root of psychic is the word psuche, and I'm sorry to use my plosives on the on the mic, but I want you to hear the the P in it because it's the word from which we get psychology. The same word as psychic. It comes from psuche. And that means it's always translated as soul. It would be the same as the Hebrew word nefesh, the, the word that's used for soul. So a psychic faith, as opposed to divine faith, is faith that I have within me. Now, 
Does it have power? Yeah. There are such things as psycho, psychosomatic healings. They work. But you know, Sometimes, until they don't. Yeah, they, that's, a, that's a good phrase. They work until they don't. But uh, not all of that sort of thing is charlatanism. A lot of it is, but not all of it is. And people think, well, because it works, therefore it must be of God. Now, the scriptures make it quite clear. Uh, by grace are you saved faith. And that, that is, the faith is not of yourselves. It's not a human faith. It's not a psychic faith. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Well, think about the boasting that comes from the sort of thing that you're talking about. I speak it. I, you know, I, I can speak God's words, and I speak things into reality, like God spoke creation into reality. You know what that sounds an awful lot? You shall be as gods. Knowing good and evil, that's the right at the center of the first temptation. Yes. There's an example that I was taught as a child. Uh, often I heard this from the pulpit. This is what faith is. It's the confidence that when I go out to my car, I put the key and I turn it, the car's going to start. And that's supposed to be biblical Christian faith. Or when you give yourself and trust yourself to a chair, when you sit down and it's not going to splinter. It's going to hold you. That's right, yes. Well, that kind of faith works until it doesn't work. And I've gone out to my car and turned the key, and the car sputtered and did not start because the battery was dead. I'd left a light on in the car, or I'd done something, or the battery was just finished. It Mm -hmm. was over. Mm -hmm. Well, that's psychic faith. In other words, my believing that the car is going to start has nothing to do with the reality of the mechanical condition of that car. So I say in my soul, the car will start. I have experience. It started many times, till it doesn't. That's not biblical faith. That's not divine faith, and that's, that's important. Um, the, well, let me read you something that Percy says about this, and then I want to get on to something perhaps we can pursue tomorrow. He says, faith has to be active. The man of faith or the woman of faith must do something, but what must he do? Only that which the Lord has told him to do by a direct word from him. And later on, he says, next page, I'm on page 45, when an act of faith is required by the Lord, he will give a commanding word leading to action. But remember that all his commands are his enablings. Well, let's take some biblical examples so that we make absolutely clear what we're talking about. All right. And uh, Percy talks about these in his book. Um, In Hebrews, the 11th chapter, as you go through it, as you read it, you come to uh, Abraham. He was told to leave his city of Ur of the Chaldees and move to the fertile crescent area of Cana land. That was quite a journey. Well, 
God told him to move, and he obeyed that word. So he was moved by God's word, and he obeyed. Moses, word of God comes to him and says, go bring my people out of Egypt. He obeys that word. Mm -hmm. Noah, build an ark. Noah, build an ark. Noah obeyed that word. So Percy takes the position, and I agree with it, that faith is hearing the rhema word of God and then obeying it. And because it's a word from God, now how often have you heard this this phrase, we need to create an atmosphere of faith or an atmosphere for faith? Hmm? Uh, especially do that in these meetings where, you know, the music has to be just that this way and the lighting has to be that way and everybody's confessing something positively. Real faith, because it comes from God, isn't dependent on anything outward. It, it can operate in an entirely negative atmosphere because it has nothing to do with my feelings. It has nothing to do with my mood. It has nothing to do with external circumstances. It's just God spoke this, so we do this. So, bottom line, God speaks the word, the rhema word, and I obey that word. Mm -hmm. So, faith and obedience, as Percy says, can't be separated. They're not identical, but they're very much connected. Yes. So faith and obedience are knit together. Mm-hmm. Knitting is good because you've still got a good analogy, because you've still got separate, but they, they work in such a way that they're one together. Yes. But if I walk into sin, or if I'm walking in sin, faith not going to function. I'm out of obedience. Yes, and that's interesting that when, when I've talked with people in, in the movement, that is the, the faith movement, uh, I'll try to be kind. I have some pet names for it, but I'll try not to use them. Um, when, you, when you challenge them and say, well, okay, you're speaking this and speaking that, uh, what about the sin in your life? Well, then it's some kind of a song and dance about, well, God doesn't see my sin. He looks at me and sees Jesus, and on we go. But bottom line is, you know, your sin has separated you from your God. That was true in the Old Covenant. It's true in the New Covenant because God hates sin. In fact, he has a whole section about this, uh, the major obstacle to sin. Percy does. The major obstacle to faith is sin. Sin brings a barrier between us and God. So faith can't operate. I don't care what you confess. What's important to confess is your sin. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. Right. Now, because the uh, word confess in the Greek is homologeo. Logeo is to, to speak a thing. Homologeo means to speak the same thing. Both of us are speaking the same thing. All right, you can be confessing something, but 
if God's not confessing it with you, in other words, you're not both saying the same thing, I confess that God's going to give me that fill-in-the-blank BMW, big house, whatever, just like you see all the people in the New Testament do. Oops, don't see that. I'm yes. sorry. Well, that's all right. We, we, you know, there's some people that have greater revelation than what's in the Bible. I'm being facetious, of course. Um, but the first round of confession, if you want to walk in faith, has to be, I confess with God my sin. And before you can obey a word from God that has to do with a rhema that's to impart faith, the thing you have to do is to confess with God your sin and obey the word that says to leave it. If you're not willing to obey that word, which is just absolutely here in black and white, why would God trust you with another word when you haven't left step one? I want to I jump ahead and be way out there. No, no, God says, here, deal with this. Deal with this thing here now. That's a step, not just of confession, of saying the same thing with the Holy Spirit, but it's a step of obedience. And since faith requires hearing and obedience, if you're not hearing back at that point, if you're not dealing with the thing God says to deal with, there's just be real with yourself. If you're not obeying that word, which is clear for everybody, and the reason Jesus died for you is you could, so you could be free of your sin. Do you think God's going to entrust you with some great word that's going to require faith when you can't even walk in the basic faith that frees you from sin? The whole work of Calvary. That's why we were. Uh, that's why we're coming up here on Easter and Good Friday and the resurrection is so you could be free from sin. Not that you could walk around babbling and claiming things. So, what you're saying, Jim, I want to really come and hone it in and narrow it very sharply because many, including myself, for many years, wanted to believe that, that faith would work. I used to attend a conference that was called Faith at Work. And it was, crank up your belief, stand, believe, and God will do it. Well, God didn't do it. That's a mercy. Yes. <laughs> but God did not answer those prayers. And I finally came to a point where I said, okay, I don't know if there's even a God. Because he doesn't answer my prayers. And that's when I began to engage many years ago in intense prayer. I'm talking eight, nine, ten hours a day on my face before God. And he totally changed me. And it brings me to question, Jim, and we have enough time to at least begin to touch it today. All right. And that question is, what does it mean to be born again? Mm. Because... Most, many of you listening to this broadcast have never been born again. You have religion, gone maybe through the four steps or five steps or whatever that particular person took you through, but the living God of heaven is not dwelling inside of you, and you know that. 
So Jim, talk to me about what does it mean to be born from above? And how do you know it? And how do you know it? I see. All right. Now, these things are actually in, in parallel. Because if you understand the one, if you understand new birth and what it really is, and you can begin to understand what this matter of God speaking to you is all about, uh, a rhema word on which you stand. We in the West like formulas. We don't like things that, have, that, are, that are untidy. Uh, it has to be step one, two, three, four. You do this and this happens. And we don't like things over which we have no control. So one of the things that we've done is we have made this matter of sharing the gospel and then supposedly new birth formulaic. That is to say, I do X, Y, Z, and then God does A, B, C. Um, We could go off on a whole week of broadcasts about this, but basically we, we tell people, Jesus is standing at the door of your heart knocking. Well, how do we know this? Well, we, Revelation 3.20. Oh, wait a minute. Revelation 3.20 isn't written to non, non-Christians. It's written to Christians, all right? Secondly, look all you want until your eyeballs wear out. Nowhere does it say Jesus is standing at the door of your heart. In fact, if you study the phrase at the door through Scripture, it is always an idiom indicating imminent judgment. It's, it's, it's a Hebrewism. Um, so then we take people through, and despite the fact that, uh, that Jesus says, you need to strive to get into the kingdom. You need to, in fact, the word in the Greek is agonizma. You need to agonize. You need to strive like someone who, who is desperate to win uh, a race or a fight or some Olympic event. You need to agonize, strain every muscle to, to have it happen. No, no, we, we turn it all on its head and we say, we put ourselves in the center, which is part of the problem with the current faith movement. I'm at the center. It's what I say, not what God says. And then we get the person to pray and ask Jesus into their heart, even though that phrase in their heart, their heart isn't there. And then we take them to John one twelve, and we say, well, as many as received him, to them gave he the authority to become the sons of God. We don't tell people that receive in that passage means to accept someone in the position in, in which they came, right? So then we have the, I know it's with, it's, it's not meant with evil intent, but the result has often been evil. Then we have the audacity to replace the Holy Spirit and to say, on the basis of whatever the verse is, uh, Second Chronicles 5.17, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature, old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. Um, and all things are of God. Then we tell them, okay, now you're born again. Now you're in Christ. Well, wait a minute. Who tells me that I am born from above? Who gives me the witness that I belong to God, that my heart has been regenerated? It's the Holy Spirit. Only he can give that assurance. And because we don't like the, we don't like rough or, or hazy edges to the end of a, a situation, 
we tell people, well, here it is. Now you've got it. Now, here's the trap. And it's the same trap that people in the faith movement find themselves in, okay? I've come to the point where I've surrendered to God the best I know how or what best I've been told. But I've also been told that if, if I don't feel this witness, then I have to go back to the Bible and say, okay, well, no, God says I had it. You know, if, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm born again. So I'm caught. If I say that's not, the things I'm reading aren't really true about me, but I have to believe that they are because otherwise I'm not believing the Bible. It's the same thing with these faith people. When, when you get them alone and you get them honest and you say, all right, all those things you've been confessing, how many of them have actually And there will be a hesitancy because they've been told, boy, if you confess or you say something negative, then it's going to keep it from happening. But when they finally open up and say, you know, Mr. Jim, you know what? Not a lot of it. Well, have you ever thought that rather than you being wrong, that maybe the what you've been believing about this stuff is wrong and that you should be looking at the Scripture in a different way rather than violently ripping certain verses out of context. And by the way, tomorrow, I hope we get to look at Matthew sixteen nineteen, where Jesus talks about, supposedly where he says, uh, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And we'll, we'll take that in a completely different way. But uh, this thing about new birth, if now I'm not born again, if I don't have the witness of the Spirit, if I haven't been regenerated, if my spirit, because it's what my soul doesn't get born again, my spirit gets okay, born again. Okay, wait a minute. You keep using the word regenerate. What are you talking about? All right. I'm saying something has to be born, all right, when we talk about new birth. Why does it have to be reborn? Well, because something died. What was it that died? If you go back to the original tragic story in Genesis 3, and actually Genesis 2 is where God lays this out, in the day you eat this, you will surely die. Well, you know what? They ate the fruit, Adam ate the fruit, and my Bible says that Adam went on to live about, I don't have the exact number, but about another 900 years. So what died? Well, what died was Adam's spirit. What died was his means. The spirit connection with Jesus. Exactly. So now, and you, you see little hints as you're going through the first couple of chapters of, Exod, of Genesis. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Why? Because they could no longer sense him in their spirit like they used to. That spirit died. What gets born again, only the Holy Spirit can give birth to because it's a regenerated spirit. So tell me in very simple words, what does it mean to be born again? It means that having dealt with God about sin, be willing to make a clean sweep of it, being willing to obey the one part of spirit that's still there vestigially, my conscience. Holy Spirit stimulates that. They confess, repent. Then God, in his loving graciousness, gives me a new spirit, gives me a new heart in which God himself 
dwells. We talk about eternal life as though it's a switch that gets flipped as soon as I breathe my last breath. Um, this life ends and then I get eternal life. No, no, no. Eternal life is something that you take with you when you breathe your last breath. Eternal life is not a thing. It's not a substance. It's God coming to dwell in me. That's the heart uh, of the new covenant, where new heart, new spirit, and now I can live daily, moment by moment, communion with God, as long as I'm willing to walk in the light. See, Jim, if I've spent my whole life trying to be the best person I can be, I've become educated, I adhere to social norms, I even go to church, I have to come to terms with the fact Scripture says I am essentially an evil person, and there is no good thing that is in me. I am utterly underneath all of the social, cultural behaviors that tell me I'm a good person. I'm an utterly evil, selfish, self-centered person. Well, Ray, isn't that a negative confession? Absolutely. <laughs> it's a confession of the truth. It's a truthful confession, that's right. So if I'm going to be born again, I'm going to have to become a new person because that old person has to die. There's no new birth without the old dying. Mm-hmm. Am I right? Putting off the old man. Putting off the old man, to use the theology words from Scripture. Right, exactly. That old life has to go, and it means an absolute, total surrender to Jesus Christ. Everything has to go. I'm no longer my own. I belong to Jesus. That's a very simple way of putting the true new birth. I'm, I'm no longer of this world. I'm no longer of this world. I am of another realm. That's right. And so I am saved from my evil heart. I'm saved from my wickedness. I'm saved from sin. If you are not saved from sin, you've not been saved. And from self, and from the world, uh, excuse me, now I'm confused. From what have you been saved? Because those are the, oh, I've been saved from, from going to hell. Well, wait a minute. Aren't continuation in sin and love of the world and love of self the things that send you to hell? Well, uh, yeah. Well, then what are you saved from? How can you be saved from hell, not be saved from sin, not be saved from the world, not be saved from self? We're, we're, we're playing with words. So some of you who are listening to this broadcast today, you have all of the social norms. You have the cultural norms. You go to church, you pay your tithe, you talk about Jesus, but you are still essentially in your heart a wicked person. If you know that's true of yourself today, we're inviting you to be born again, to become a new person. And I only know of one way for you to become that new person, and the scripture calls that repentance where you go before God and you tell him exactly who you are, what your sin is, and you ask Jesus to give you that new birth. 
It is a supernatural work of God. It is not by human effort or human strength. But when you confess and you repent of your sin, and to to repent means to turn aside from it. You're done with it. If you go back to your alcohol, you did not repent of your alcohol. If you go back to your fornication, you didn't repent. If you go back to your pornography, you did not repent. To repent means to utterly confess the depth of that thing to Jesus and renounce it and ask him to save you. That word of the Greek for repentance, mm-hmm. metanoia, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm the accent being on the second syllable, nous in Greek for the, the noia part has to do with the mind. It's, it's with who I am. It's how I think. It's how I relate. Meta is, is this change, as in the same word as metamorphosis. You, you mm-hmm. change from something, you change from a little crawling bug into a chrysalis and come out a butterfly, all right? That's mm-hmm. a metamorphosis. Well, a, a meta, if I can mangle the Greek, a metanousis, all right? You, there's such a change in your, in your thinking, your outlook, when, when re- real repentance happens, that metanoia, I relate to everything on a level. Sin not only isn't interesting, it's repulsive. Yes. Okay? Uh, The things I used to love in the world, they're repulsive because you become as different in this repentance leading up to new birth as, as a butterfly is different from the little thing that was crawling before. Jim, if... You still love that thing. The repentance is not fully accomplished yet. And this is what it means to agonize, to enter into the kingdom of God. Yes. You've got to deal to the bottom of that lust for money, for position, power, for the lust of the flesh. Whatever it is, that's done in the prayer closet of the holy God of heaven. Let me add a word at this point to pastors and those who are in spiritual leadership. I know that we have been taught that we need to give comfort to people, but what's happened is we have comforted some people right into hell. When somebody is going through the agonies, conviction of sin, our Human response is to say, oh, yeah, that's, that's so bad. You know, Jesus still loves you. No, of course Jesus loves you. Otherwise, you wouldn't be going through this thing. But don't step in and cut short the work of the Holy Spirit. Please, I beg of you, as men and women of God, learn, first of all, how to have this thing straight in your own heart. And then second, learn how to work with the Holy Spirit and encourage somebody in that and say, don't give up yet. Just finish keep, the work. Finish the work. That's exactly it. Otherwise, because we come in and we say, there, there, that's okay. God loves you. You know, he's forgiving you. No, they'll know they're forgiven when God tells them he's forgiven them. When there's that, you know, you know the hymn that we sing, or I don't know, people even sing hymns nowadays, but supposedly it's over a thousand tongues to sing. Mm-hmm. All right, that's heaven of the original hymn. And what Wesley says at the beginning of that, he talks about his, his conviction experience 
And he talks about how, uh, there's this one verse, he said, I felt my Lord's atoning blood close to my soul applied. Me, me he loved, the Son of God. For me, for me he died. This is a direct revelation. It's not based on some general verse. It's God, the Holy Spirit, witnessing that I have come through, that my sins are forgiven, and that I am in right standing with him and have received a new life. That's when he bursts into this song of praise. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. We want to jump to verse 7, which I think may be why we cut out the first six verses, because we don't want to go through the agony and the cost of, of getting there. Okay, let's be clear now. Faith is substance. It is staying under the Word of God. It is standing on the Word of God. Sin blocks the functioning of faith in your life. You need to hear the word of God and then let it have its effect on your life. So, Jim, tell us how we can get this book. All right. Well, we have just made it available on Amazon as a paperback and as a uh, as an ebook. So you can have it form. Um, it's just look up Faith is Substance on, on Amazon. You'll find it. Now, let me say this. Fine if you want to buy a copy of the book, it would it would help the ministry. I think we make about three dollars on on either kind of copy that goes towards our missions trips. But long before we ever put it in book form, and to this day, every chapter of this book is still available on our website and will continue to be. Just look for Faith is Substance on finestofthewheat.org. And every chapter is there. You can download it. A lot of people don't like reading long things from the internet or having to print things off, so we've made it available as a book and as an ebook. Jim doesn't want to sell books; that's not his heart. Well, no, but, I want to. I want to share truth. Yeah, but I want to come back and say, you need a physical copy of this book that you can underline and pray through and get the meat out of it. It's not a quick read. It is substantive. It will transform your heart as you read it in prayer, as you wait upon God. This book is powerful, and I urge you to go and actually buy the book in the physical form so that you can underline it and mark it and pray over it. But again, how do they get this? What's the webpage? uh, Well, they can just go to uh, Amazon.com and just put in Faith of Substance, or you can put in uh, finestofthewheat.org slash faith. That will take you to the same place. Now, this webpage also has other things on it. What else is on? Oh, a lot of the teaching articles that we've done, other articles by Pastor Guttridge, um, probably another 20 by him that are outside of this book. Um, Wonderful series, for instance, on the emblems of the Holy Spirit, basically the types of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of my own teaching. Uh, there's an entire book by Thomas Cook called New Testament Holiness. It's the most wonderful primer I know on this whole subject. Receiving a heart. There's lots there. Okay, and you're headed to South America? 
uh, actually heading to Guatemala in mid-May, and then from there straight to Peru in South America. Yes, we'll and, be gone for about a month. And what will you be doing there? Uh, in both places, we'll be teaching pastors and leaders. I've been going to Guatemala now for, uh, this will be my 11th trip to build up quite a relationship with the pastors, training them in the things of the Word of God, and they're implementing them. And then Peru, same thing, but it'll just be the third trip of what I hope will be many. And they don't pay you to go. You wait on the Lord by faith for the resources to make these trips. Absolutely. There's no way that most of these have enough money to even, in many cases, they don't have enough money to buy a concordance or a Bible dictionary. These are things that we help to supply them with. So we, we look to the Lord. We let God's people know that they can participate helping these brothers and sisters, um, and a lot of fruit has come out of that as a result. Well, Pastor Jim Kerwin, pastor and teacher Jim Kerwin, has been our guest today. He will be with us again on the air tomorrow, and we're going to talk about some very important biblical material that will give you a new depth with Jesus. I invite you to listen to Pilgrim's Progress again tomorrow. I'm Ray Greenley pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Thank you for being with us today. I pray this has been helpful to you and that you quickly go to the webpage. Give it to us one more time. Amazon.com, Faith is Substance. Faith is Substance by? Percy Guttridge. I urge you to buy this book and spend some time with it. God bless you, my brother, my sister. I love you. Amen. See you tomorrow. We'll talk to you soon, and we'll be with you again tomorrow. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory.